Ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. Thank you. Welcome to the Pediatric Sports Medicine Podcast hosted by me, Dr. Mark Halstead. I cover current hot topics and recent research in the world of the young athlete relevant to healthcare professionals. This is the Pediatric Sports Medicine Podcast. In the world of sports medicine, I'm sure there are many who would question whether esports should be considered an actual sport. Interestingly, I don't think many of us would argue that cheerleading is a sport, but many states don't recognize it as such, and I'm guessing many of us aren't advocating to our state high school athletic associations to get it considered a sport and get some of the protections and regulations it needs. If we look at Merriam-Webster's dictionary definition of sport, it's, quote, a source of diversion. It's also listed as physical activity engaged in for pleasure. And then a final one is a particular activity, such as a game, so engaged in. So clearly playing a video game for competition does fall under a sport definition. Esports definitely continue to grow. There are numerous concerns an esport participant may face. And it's certainly beyond the cute terms that we've seen in the literature, such as Nintendonitis or Wii-itis or Wii-knee or PlayStation Thumb, as we've seen reported in case reports and literature over the years. But today on the podcast, we're going to discuss esports and esport injuries with a group of experts who run an esports medicine program. I'm Dr. Mark Halstead, your host, and this is the Pediatric Sports Medicine Podcast. I have several guests joining me on the podcast today. Dr. Dominic King is a family practice sports medicine physician and the current director and a founding member of the Cleveland Clinic Esports Medicine Program. He completed his residency as well as his sports medicine fellowship at South Point Hospital in Ohio. He is an assistant professor for the Cleveland Clinic Lerner College of Medicine. Dr. Diane Tucker is a staff optometrist at the Cleveland Clinic Cole Eye Institute. She is a graduate of The Ohio State University College of Optometry. She is board certified in vision therapy and has special interest in pediatrics, visual rehabilitation, and sports vision. Dr. Drew Schwartz joined the Cleveland Clinic Integrative Medicine team in 2021 after working in private practice for nine years. He is a graduate of Concordia College Moorhead and completed his doctorate of chiropractic at the Logan College of Chiropractic in St. Louis. He continues to be an avid gamer. Jason Cruikshank is a senior athletic trainer at the Cleveland Clinic and is the care coordinator for concussions and the esports medicine program neurocognitive strength and conditioning specialist. He is a graduate of Baldwin Wallace University in 1998 with degrees in athletic training and fitness management. He also serves at the Ohio Athletic Trainers Association website chair. So welcome to the podcast, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thank you. We have quite the variety of guests today. When I would say we would have an optometrist, an athletic trainer, a chiropractor, and a sports medicine physician, you might think I'm leading into a joke of uh, four <laughs> people walking into a bar, but this is not a lead into a joke. It's just a, a diverse group of people that we have that are part of the Cleveland Clinic Sports Medicine eSports program. And I know you guys have a lot more specialists involved that we don't even have on the podcast today as far as different disciplines. But before we get started with the nitty gritty of eSports... We're going to just take a little tangent here, and I'm assuming maybe all of you have been involved in gaming in some way, shape, or form, even you know back as kids. So let's start with each of you just giving us a little background into gaming and then maybe your favorite game of all time to play. Jason Crookshank, I'm a certified athletic trainer. I work primarily with our concussion program, but Dominic approached me years ago in regards to getting an esports medicine program, utilizing a lot of the background that I have in neurocognitive as well as strength and conditioning, that uh, another background I have in athletic training. So moving forward with that, like gaming and, and whatnot, I've played game, uh, some kind of video game aspect throughout the course of my life from in television, which we were discussing earlier before this started today as Atari and Nintendo. And then as I got older, I moved away from that uh, as these different gaming consoles got more advanced and, and things. I just never had the time to get involved and relearn how to play a game until more recently, now that I have a teenage son. So I've become more and more impressed by the different ways that athletes have been able to play these sports and, and, and just be so in tune with what they're doing. My name is Drew Schwartz. I'm a chiropractic physician at the Cleveland Clinic. I've been working in esports for probably about four or five years with a blog I started in 2018, looking at wellness, performance, ergonomics. And then I came to the clinic two years ago and have been working with this amazing group for that long, which has been really great because initially we, we were both kind of working with a different pro teams and esports teams. And it was really great to 
join this team because it's just so beneficial to have such an amazing talent pool here and things that you know and subjects that i have no idea about you know whether it's eye health neurocognitive concussion protocols it's really awesome to be part of this group i initially started gaming a little bit with nintendo but not really Uh, i didn't really get into gaming until about nintendo 64 when i was about i don't know seven or eight i think so i played a lot of nintendo 64 and then in college i played a lot of halo and that's probably my favorite my favorite game of all time is halo one not halo two Halo 3 was good. Very stuck in the mud on that. And currently I play a lot of different games, but League of Legends is my main game right now. I'm Diane Tucker. I'm an optometrist for the Cleveland Clinic and have been for a long time. And my whole interest in this area is I have provided functional vision and vision therapy for all different types of disorders. And this whole esports fit right into my area of different eye fatigue and eye focusing problems, as you know, with video gaming. And I would say I very early on used computerized video games with vision therapy that have been developed in my field. And I remember starting in the Atari format and playing these games first so that I could then use them and teach different strategies. Leading into now, I have eye trackers to actually play different games where all you have to do is move your eyes for the reaction time. I have worked with elite sports, providing sports vision therapy, and I currently work with the concussion group also with all of my neuro and cognitive background too. My favorite gaming, I'm going to really age myself. I used to love playing Pac-Man (laughs) when I was younger. And leading up to now, I can't really say I have had any time, but at some point when my daughters were teenagers, we played rock band together. And I really liked that. Yep. Yeah, Mark. I I mean, if uh, my eight-year-old self could see that I serve as the director of the eSports medicine program <laughs> at the Cleveland Clinic. It, it would He would absolutely be nerding out so much, just as much as we do uh, on a lot of our calls. I've been interested in video games my whole life. There is one game, Super Mario Brothers 3, that holds a very special place in my heart, starting with the game or the movie, The Wizard, all the way through all the iterations of Mario. But Super Mario Brothers 3 really is, uh, I, I poured way too much time, more time probably in that than I did in medical school together. I've always enjoyed games. We have a five-year-old and a seven-year-old boy, so we get to continue Mario with our family. That's been fun. And uh, boy, I I can tell that they're a lot better uh, in those games than I was in uh, Super Mario Brothers 3. And I think it was some of my interest in esports was I'm not good at video games. I'm awful. Uh, I, I, I can't, <laughs> I liked playing Halo, but uh, I was, I was not good at, at, uh, at any of them. Uh, it's, but it's enjoyable, right? It's something that you can pick up. You can play anybody of any age can play some kind of a game. And most people who are listening probably have some game either on their phone or at home. And when it gets to the level of competitive video gamers and esports athletes, as, as we call them, it's a whole different skill. It's a whole different ballgame. You have, you have just like somebody who's playing casual hoops or, or, or shooting versus an NBA athlete. Uh, the, the difference between those two groups is, is that wide. And that's where I think a lot of our interest started with because of the way that we take care of traditional athletes and how we applied some of those methodologies to taking care of esports athletes. And in dating myself, my favorite was always going to Aladdin's castle, getting my big bucket full of tokens and actually having to pay for each individual play, not getting to hit start or reset again. And and my favorite game out of that, which was always somewhat okay when it came over to the consoles, was pole position, as I mentioned to you guys before the podcast. I, I'm a racing game kind of person. I like those types of things. So I did enjoy when my kids were younger and Mario Kart was around. That was the one game I think I could probably beat them every once in a while on. I will not try and play my kids on any of the sports games now because they are way too good. And I, I, I'm not, you know, with B button, X button, whatever, all the stuff that goes on there, that's, that's way out for me. I kind of did Fortnite for a little bit when it was available on the iPad. And then when they had their nice little thing in a battle with Apple and they took that away and there's no more uh, iPad version of it, um, I stopped. So <laughs> I haven't played that for a while, but that was probably the only recent game I think I actually have participated in at, at any sort of significant level. You know, I, I think it's interesting just, you know, talking about having an esports medicine program and just how that actually got started at the Cleveland Clinic. So maybe 
you know, some of you can chime in and just kind of let us know the origins of that and, and how did it grow into having all these different specialists involved with it because it is a fairly multidisciplinary clinic. Yeah, you know, the, the Cleveland Clinics is a massive organization. We perform a, a lot of a lot of different kinds of surgeries, cardiac care, orthopedics, plenty of uh, work that's done in our Coli Institute for ophthalmology. It really is a world-class place to receive care. And within our sports medicine group, we take care of grade school, high school, collegiate, amateur professional athletes. And that approach to improving the health, wellness, the performance of athletes, Jason and I were joking around one day when we heard that some of the local colleges started an esports group and started giving college scholarships. And we said, you know, we should probably have a video game program here at the clinic, right? And we have all of the the resources. What would that look like? And what started out as kind of a, a fun conversation ended up growing into some really large pillars around, well, how would you do that? And is, is there enough, you know, is this a fad? Is this something that isn't going to be around? And when you saw how much was invested in this, not, not just financially, just the amount of people who were around this and how much energy the entire idea of esports was generating, we felt like, yeah, you know what, if we're going to do this, we need to do this right and surround ourselves with the right people. And so that, that came into understanding from Diane, from a, a vision therapy standpoint, our sports medicine, uh, athletic trainers, strength and conditioning specialists, uh, neurocognitive is, is uh, what Jason does. As Drew mentioned, you know, there were, we, we found out very quickly we were not the only ones who thought about taking care of these athletes. And so Drew, as, as competition in, in Cleveland was fun and all, all for, the, for the right reasons, too. We, we met on LinkedIn and knew of each other. And then when he signed on at the clinic, it just it made sense. So then we surrounded ourselves with sports nutritionists sports psychologists, orthopedic surgeons, and really said, you know, let, let's do this the right way. So if somebody comes to us and says, hey, we want some advice, how do we game the right way? How do we keep our esports athletes healthy? We had both the breadth and the depth of knowledge to help support that. I always find it amazing with how we approach sports medicine, again, looking at all these different domains. And a lot of that has kind of come from our concussion department where I spend a lot of time. And as you know, Mark, concussion just continues to be this ever-expanding group of providers that provide exceptional care from speech therapy, cognition to Diane and her ocular therapy, Drew, chiropractic, Dominic for, for everything else with management of, of the day-to-day, physical therapy, all these different domains to incorporate that into a sports medicine model and utilizing athletic training, which just makes sense in the space has really developed this, what I feel is one of this great evolving programs that can provide a lot of insight on prevention, treatment, management, and change that paradigm. No, yeah, okay, maybe put down the energy drink and let's move on over and, and we'll get you more focus on mobility, movement, changing your ocular stimulus so that you're you're not getting overstimulated and and that you can be at your peak performance. Everything's about peak performance and keeping Drew's done an amazing job with his with his ergonomic assessments and providing information on that. Some of our other athletic trainers with working into the exercise strategies that we're talking about for these individuals to keep them mobile, keep the blood flowing, keep their focus, their concentration on the things that matter and less on possible pain, dysfunction, things like that. So it's a really great group and I Again, we have all these pools to draw from that are based here in sports medicine, and it's really fantastic. Kind of curious, like how exactly a referral to this clinic works. And I know how I do my concussion clinic, you know, and a lot of concussion clinics I know have dedicated person and all the multidisciplinary people are there at once. Now, I don't do it that way. I see patients just because I want to have access. So I have them come into my office and I consider myself like the quarterback. And then I make passes to my different specialists that are out there to take care of all the other conditions as we get them uh, what things we identify that they need to do. But I just think about, you know, esports in general and the handful of kids that I've seen who are probably like truly like esport athletes in the area. 
at, that's been few. And we have a lot more of growing in our area for sure. I mean, my, the kids high school that I'm at, they have an esports team there. You know, every college that my kids have looked at in the state of Missouri has an esports team now, but I don't, I don't see these kids like coming in actively. So I'm curious, like, do you guys get referrals into your clinic from this? Is it something that, you know, you started saying you have this program now. So people are like, oh, Hey, I can come here. Or were you actually even seeing these athletes in your office before you started the program? Yeah, I think we were probably seeing a lot of them without knowing and without their awareness, too, of, oh, hey, I don't want to tell this person, like, I, I play video games or this is why I'm just having <laughs> wrist pain, right? Uh, so I think it's uh, it destigmatizes a little bit of that. It certainly gives some legitimization to the community. And they come from a, a very wide different places, right? There's some pl- that will work through some virtual visits, especially if we uh, have those of us who have multiple state licenses to do some virtual uh, and, and see them in that way. Uh, there are referrals from some of our colleagues because they know this is what we we like to see. The injuries are are not as volume kind of driven as much as kind of the episodic we're seeing them and we know how to plug them into that specialty care. The other side of the program is also the awareness. So we've published book chapters, we publish research articles, we have information on our on our website through Cleveland Clinic, the clevelandclinic.org forward slash esports that has some of that information. And really it's it's bringing awareness to it and, and putting out some of the injury prevention information that's out there. So I, I don't think we uh, look at it as being a cornerstone of revenue generation for the Cleveland Clinic. I think we really look at it as if you wanted to come to a, a place that can offer anything to any type of athlete, we have all of those resources to, to plug them in. That's one side of it. The other side, I think, is speaking to individually between Jason and Diane and and Drew with the number of people that they see that probably come from a gaming or some type of extended computer work that really expands the same type of approach that we have for all the esports athletes is being able to bring that to so many of us who sit in front of computers for a long time and apply those same methods so they can probably speak to the types of patients that they see that are approached in the same way. Yeah. So why don't we talk about that? Drew, I'd love to hear about kind of your ergonomics and, and, and stuff that you're doing with the, with the approach to this uh, clinic. You're in St. Louis, if I remember correctly, Correct. right? So Maryville University is mm-hmm. like the best within the collegiate esports community. And I actually went to chiropractic school down the road from there at Chad. I noticed that, Logan. Logan. Yeah. yeah. So that was before gaming was huge, which would have been amazing if I'd have been there when that was occurring because it was, you know, it's literally like 10 minutes away. So I've seen a lot of patients within, since being at, at the clinic, really focused on a lot of desk workers. I get a ton of ergonomic stuff, desk worker-based things. And I've also gotten some patients that have gaming background. And it, like Dominic had mentioned, it's, they'll say, like, oh, I'm at the computer a long time. And I'll look at the injury and, I, and the kid's like 19. And I was like, do you game? And they're like, uh, yeah. And I said, ah, me too. And so I think really breaking down those barriers really helps with treatment because you know i play a lot of the games that they probably play and so I, that relatability i think is really important when it comes to treatment not only from the physical aspect but i think you know the mental component too because all right this guy knows what's going on you know i i don't have to feel embarrassed about it and honestly i think the field is changing and the the scene is changing too where gaming's really cool which is awesome because when i was growing up it wasn't as as cool as <laughs> as i wish it would have been so I've, I've seen a lot of those and continue to see a lot of those athletes come in. And then it does really translate well with desk-based work throughout the day because even a lot of the employees that I see that come from the clinic, it's all desk work. It's work from home or yeah. it's anyone, you know, everyone's on a computer now. So the vast majority of the things kind of go back and forth and, and correlate. Some don't, you know, actions per minute and, you know, maybe prolonged sitting for a significant amount of time, but I, we see it a lot, and it's it's really nice to one have the esports component, but the ergonomics component, the educational aspect of it is probably the biggest thing, and it's really simple tweaks that can really you know as cheesy as it sounds change someone's life. I mean, it's you know move your computer screen up and bring your mouse closer to your keyboard, keep your wrist more neutral, and you know all of a sudden that you know trapezius levator scap pain goes away. I don't have numbness in my hand. All of a sudden I, I don't have carpal tunnel anymore, which is really great. So the ergonomic component and the education and watching a patient kind of get that light bulb moment, it, it's really rewarding. You know, looking back, I probably talk more ergonomics to patients than I probably realize just in general. And I always use our our workstations and our clinic rooms as perfect examples of poor ergonomics. Like if I had to work off of this workstation all day long, 
I would be in as much pain as you probably are. And just giving them examples of just like, this is like horrible right here where everything is placed, the keyboard, the mouse, the monitor, all that type of stuff. So yeah, I, I, I do have those discussions. So I, I, I do appreciate the ergonomics part of things by a long shot there. That's, that's uh, an important part there. Diane, tell me a little bit about your, your ocular part of this. I think the biggest part that I play is I see a lot of teenagers for just regular eye examinations, whether it's their contact lens or eyeglasses. And it's really interesting when I will mention, you know, especially if it's a new patient, do you play any sports? Do you have any extracurricular activities? And they are very afraid to tell me they're video gamers. And once I bring it up and say, oh, do you ever play any video games? And I see the parents rolling their eyes and I'm like, oh, that's really great. You know, let's talk about it and let's talk about how long your eyes are on this computer. And we need to make sure that you have the right, you know, just even eyeglass prescription, contact lens prescription, because you'd be amazed that especially in the teenage population, they're changing really rapidly. And all of these uncorrected errors, meaning refractive errors, they can really create a lot of eye strain and eye fatigue. And, you know, blue light blocking is a big part of things right now. Gamers want to be careful of not using anything that changes their colors. So there's different techniques you can have on eyeglass lenses. You know, I'm actually currently wearing a blue light blocker in my glasses to take down the glare. We also talk a lot in the exam room about when you should take visual breaks And I think this is a big part of it that nobody's really, you know, telling them this. And the parents are like, yes, please, please go on, go on, tell me more. And it's hard when you're gaming because you don't want to pause, especially if you're doing it competitively. So we talk a lot about that. And I think it's fascinating if they're having a lot of eye strain, eye fatigue problems, and I find different visual functional problems then it can lead into some vision therapy to improve all of their focusing skills. And they do get improvement in their reaction times. The other part that I have is I have a computer system that allows us to have an objective measurement of their eye tracking skills. And there is in their database esports. And so you can compare somebody to the professional esports versus the collegiate. And you can compare them just to their age group for the 10-year-olds. So that's been a new development with all the different eye trackers that we have. And there is a system that we're able to take. I have a portable system that I can take places, you know, if we were going to do any screenings to compare these esports athletes. And Jason, you're talking about the the neurocognitive side of things, and and your program refers to esport athletes as neurocognitive athletes. I saw on the website, so tell me a little bit more about that because I find that an intriguing name. Well, actually, Dominic labeled them the synaptic athlete because they they spent so much time on these synaptic responses, and so one of the things that you you see all the major components of neurocognitive you know, as being processing speed, reaction time, coordination, and ocular tracking, and what we were able to figure out was we using the a novel device that we developed at the Cleveland Clinic for concussion years ago, we'll take that out and we baseline athletes. And what we were able to do with one of our partner schools was uh, we took a, a number of collegiate athletes, I, th- I think it was 25 or 26, and we ran them through this baseline cognitive module. And what we found was that they perform at a dramatically improved performance level in processing of information, simple and choice reaction times, as well as that coordination aspect. And they can process through information in, at rates we had, we had never seen in previous iterations. And so to, to, to measure that and just see that performance with their age and gender matched peers in the athletic realm using the same testing platform, it was it was a dramatic change. And we're working on that publication right now and getting that out. So that's how we just kind of labeled them more this neurocognitive athlete. Their, their focus is not on these explosive, dramatic movements. And they're more on the ocular training and, and how fast they can take all of those inputs, their eyes, their ears, their fingers, 
all of those inputs and and put it into their gaming at an elite level and perform at scholarship level for a Division One athlete. So it was, it's really kind of a fun, novel use for stuff that's been out there for years and just compare the two together. Yeah. Um, we're, and we're continuing to do that with our partnerships. Um, we're still baseline testing every one of our collegiate athletes as they come in for their physicals. And we treat them the exact same way as we would any other athlete. They're going to go through the same neurocog modules. They're going to go through the same pre-participation examinations that everybody else gets. And I think that makes the continuity of care great. And it exposes them to all these different things, knowing that, hey, I've kind of made it. You know, this is an actual thing. I'm an athlete. And I think that goes a long way. I think that yeah. definitely goes a long way. Mark, when, uh, as Jason said, and really put a, put a pin on it of them being athletes, it can be a slightly controversial right statement, right? Athletes, and this is a sport. And I think that's the skill that each competitive individual has, right? That's really where it comes up to not just being casual, but really these are athletes and these are, this is a sport. Their ability to react to stimulus with accuracy and with speed uh, outpaces their traditional cohorts uh, with with traditional sports. The U.S. military, the FAA, actively seek out collegiate esports athletes due to their ability to recognize, assess, and analyze data incredibly fast and accurately respond with appropriate actions. So there's a great opportunity there to understand how how we can maximize those skills for athletes future employment and also advancement of a, a lot of different industries. And two other points to that from a legitimization standpoint. So November 16th last year, the International Olympic Committee confirmed that its inaugural Olympic Esports Week is going to take place in Singapore the week of June 22nd of this year. And it really kind of marks that that next major step in supporting the development of virtual sports within the Olympic movement and also opens doors for some further engagement with with the competitive gamers. And then most recently the country of India officially recognized esports as a multi-sport event on December 23rd of last year. So the Indian government officials stated online gaming is a very loose term, but what we're talking about is competitive video gaming. That esport is considered a sport, and that's now overseen by India's Department of Sport. Uh, And that's really cool because it further legitimizes not only the sport, but also the community as a whole. So cool developments globally of of seeing this as a sport with, with these athletes. And I think, you know, some of it just comes down to just awareness and what's involved with doing these things at a competitive level, right? I mean, I've always been one of those that I never really kind of considered auto racing a sport. Yet, I had the opportunity to go down to Charlotte and see how things are run down at NASCAR and watching the training that they go through, how all the people who are involved in what they do just from the, the pit crew and to the drivers And once you get that perspective and you're actually put in that situation there, you're like, oh, yeah, this is a little bit more than just driving a car fast. There's there's a little bit more (laughs) there to this. And yeah, this is a legitimate sport. So I I think it's just again, I think it's just getting out of that terminology and and not just thinking that, you know, it has to be someone that is like physically going out there and actually doing something, which they are obviously physically doing something not necessarily to the extent that we we think for our traditional sports that would come into our sports medicine clinics on a regular basis, but it is still something that's out there. And, and again, I think that the awareness part of it, I think, is important, which is part why I wanted to do this episode, because we need to talk about these things. We are going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we will continue our discussion on eSports. Wouldn't it be cool if your advertising could last forever? It can, with perpetual advertising. Here's how it works. Magazine, radio, and television ads are efforts that people might see or hear once, and then they're lost forever. Perpetual advertising provides you with the chance for repeat exposure and replayability weeks, months, even years after it's originally inserted inside a podcast. So even if your advertising is included in a podcast years ago, those efforts are still impactful, providing you with true return on investment. Real impact. Thanks to perpetual advertising. Are you ready to change the way you and your company or organization advertises? Find out more and launch a unique perpetual advertising effort now by visiting twoguystalking.com forward slash sponsors. Dr. Mark Halstead here. Do you like what you're hearing on the Pediatric Sports Medicine Podcast? 
you want to learn how your business, organization, or effort can benefit from my focused audience of professionals interested in pediatric sports medicine, connect with us and let's have a conversation. You can reach out to us at pediatricsportsmedicinepodcast.com. Thought about a career in voiceover? Need a great, cost-effective, on-hold message for your organization or business? Don't know where to start? Check out The Voice Farm, your one-stop shop for voiceover needs. Check it out now by accessing The Voice Farm at voicefarmers.com and see what difference can be made with a company that's truly outside the box from The Voice Box. Voicefarmers.com. That's voicefarmers.com. We're back with members of the Cleveland Clinic eSports Clinic talking about their eSports medicine program. What kind of things do we expect to see? What are common things that are occurring in, in, in these athletes? Anybody can uh, have a shot at that one. Yeah, I think each one of us can probably speak towards what, what, what we see within our, our disciplines. You know, I think from a tendinopathy standpoint, we, we do see overuse tendinopathy of the common extensor tendon, normally more with, with the mouse hand and the same kind of thing, ECU, tendinitis, FCU, carpal tunnel. You know, some of those are a combination of the, the ergonomics, which as you know, Drew speaks to in, incredibly eloquently, as, as well as just the micro trauma and the overuse. And then we'll see different aspects of cervical spine, thoracic spine, and, and then, you know, pretty much core to the floor of mixed between the prolonged posture that they're in, the small micro movements that they continue to do, and then just the amount of time that they do it as well. I think those are probably the main factors that cause uh, many of the injuries. And I, I think all my colleagues here can can speak to some of the specifics of what what they see with that prolonged play in those kind of positions. For vision, we are seeing, due to the amount of computer usage, we're seeing an increase in myopia, that's nearsightedness in the younger kids. And we now actually have myopia prevention techniques that I work with that can help slow down all the changes. And this is from, I think, starting with the pandemic, when all of a sudden all these young kids were on computers a significant amount more and they weren't getting outside to play and, you know, as much. So that is one big area, an increase in myopia. For the video gamers, we're also picking up that they may have eye-focusing problems in the area of convergence insufficiency. And it doesn't, in these players, they are pushing through it. And it may also shift their prescriptions or cause other areas to have gone down in the visual functioning system. And some of those will come out during an eye exam when they're very exacerbated, meaning that they have headaches, eye strain, you know, really struggling to do their gaming, and then it slows down their processing speed. The elite gamers and really that are very competitive a lot of them have figured out how to work through that. And what they do is they move further away from their screens to avoid a lot of the focusing issues. So they have learned to compensate for it also. But there are things that we can do to help them. Yeah, I think probably one of the worst terms that I heard that came out of the pandemic was the Zoom concussion. Uh, I don't know if you guys heard of that term. <laughs> But, uh, you know, obviously it's a lot of what you're talking about and what people were experiencing just with prolonged screen use where they were getting the eye strain and eye fatigue and headaches and loss of concentration and all those types of things, lost reaction time that were mimicking concussions. And some people started labeling these things as Zoom concussions. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, you better stop labeling it that way because we're not injuring the brain with this here. Please stop because then that downplays that concussion injury even more. Everything you're describing is stuff, you know, certainly that that was described with that particular condition as well. So hopefully we aren't starting labeling our esport athletes as having concussions from screen use. What I typically see, I see a lot of obviously musculoskeletal based conditions, a lot of overuse injuries, as Dominic had mentioned, you know, the extensors and flexors, just taut bands, trigger points throughout, really tight, but that's also causing some compression within the, the nerves as well. So They'll play for two, three minutes. Once they die, they'll shake their hand out, try and get that numbness out of there, go back to playing. And then they wonder why this isn't normal. This isn't 
what should happen when you're playing video games, especially at 19, and that translates to them not being able to do really simple tasks, you know, open car doors, use a phone, open a jar, anything along those lines. I see that, and I see a lot of muscle imbalances, especially in the upper extremity, a lot of scap cervical complex, just that scap, especially on that right right side where that mouse hand is, that mouse is usually kicked up significantly or kicked out significantly when it comes to playing for prolonged periods of time. So it's out here, or it's way up here. So you see a, a lot of tightness, a lot of tension within that trap levator, which translates into, you know, headaches at, at the end of the day or end of a session, you know, right-sided temporal headaches. I see quite a bit as well. And then everyone just says, well, just stretch it. You know, th- that'll be that'll be fine. And the tissue's already stretched, and then it's just a huge muscle imbalance. So they stretch, feels good for a little bit, comes back, and they wonder why that keeps occurring. So I think the most massive thing I see is, is really significant muscle imbalance when it comes to upper extremity. And there's some in the low back, low back pain, some sciatica, but the vast majority of it is, you know, mid-back stiffness coupled with really significant muscle imbalances in the upper extremity. Tell me a little bit about, you know, we can kind of talk about what things you would recommend to somebody in those situations, Drew, and then maybe some things that you would maybe kind of encourage people that are gaming and doing esports. Uh, like, what do you usually recommend for them ergonomically as far as what's what's ideal for them as far as how to set things up? I recommend starting kind of floor up, feet flat. If you're shorter, make sure you have a, like a, a foot rest and get Amazon box, whatever you want to do. Make sure your feet are flat. And then when you have that support working your way up, you, we want to keep the, the hips open greater than 90, ideally. The backrest, the biggest mistake I see is a lot of people playing straight up at 90 degrees, and we really want that to be at 100, 110 degrees, but also actually sitting on the backrest because, yeah, you can have that angle, but a lot of people come forward when it's an intense part of the game, and I do that same thing. So focusing on all that with the chair, but also a method like, like call like the sticker method basically putting a sticker within the on the monitor or using like a little figurine or a token so every time you see that you look at that and say oh what is my posture like and that can help reset because you're not going to change someone in a mid-game tense situation they're not going to all of a sudden just be like oh i need to sit back and think about ergonomics that's the last thing on their mind we want to kind of work within that sweet spot and so when we can get to that sweet spot get there when we can't and we know we're not going to, don't try and force it because that's going to decrease gameplay. That's going to you know, just chunk performance. There's a, there's a lot of things that can be detrimental to that. And then as far as peripherals, mouse should be right next to that keyboard, ideally. If you use the 10 key, fine. A lot of gamers don't. So I always recommend kind of getting a keyboard that is a smaller profile when it comes to that so we can keep everything close, everything close to midline and just keeping that right-handed mouse from creeping forward or creeping out a lot. And you see that a lot in first-person shooters that use mouse and keyboard. They do a lot of flicking. And a controller is a whole different animal, but as far as just with PC, we really want to focus on trying to keep that, everything close to midline as best we can. And then the last thing is just wrist neutrality. The, the more we can keep that wrist neutral and not deviate in any plane is ideal. How about you, Diane? What, when you were talking about things as far as the eye, you know, you mentioned something about how a lot of gamers will adapt and they'll sit back, but are there some strategies that you recommend just to reduce the eye strain? I mean, I know, and I, I talk a lot about my concuss patients with doing the 20-20-20 rule with screens for them, but um, just in general, what would you usually recommend? Some of my colleagues came up with that 20-20 rule. And what it is, is after 20 minutes on a digital device, look in the distance for 20 seconds. So you're taking a break, making your eyes go off the screen. And that's actually a problem for our video gamers because they can't pause. You know, I, I try to say hit the pause button, take a break. But we all know what that means when you're being competitive. You're going to push through it. On some ends, it's easier for the pediatric patients to do all of the focusing skills. And if they haven't been able to use their eyes together, then we can do training activities called vision therapy to improve all of their skills, whether it's a convergence, a strabismus problem, any type of amblyopia to improve. And what I also find is their adaptations is sometimes it's as simple of giving them a new prescription or providing reading glasses, a very small prescription, not what an adult would use, but some can benefit 
from these reading prescriptions that take some stress off their eyes and also have anti-reflective on it or blue light blocking to take away some of the glare. But the biggest part is you need to make your eyes look in the distance and get your eyes off the screen. But there are training protocols that we can do to improve all of the focusing skills. How about you, Jason, as far as the neurocognitive side of things? Are you doing anything as far as specific things like rehab, so to speak, or even any preventative things for some of these athletes to improve their skills? Using some of the ideas that I've had, just with talking about concussions, we we focus a lot more on getting just a break. And we talk about between the group of us, we established that two hours is an ideal time to get out and, and walk for 15 to 20 minutes, change what you're doing, change where you're at. If you can get out into fresh air, that's an ideal situation. And it's it's very similar to what we concussion use as, as I affectionately call walk the dog therapy. You know, when you're stuck in that routine with symptomology, that's just not fading away. You want to change what you're doing and and low level physical activity has always been proven to kind of reset and and get you back into focus and sometimes decrease symptoms, you know? So that's, that's always one of our, our goals with, with talking with our groups that we work with very frequently is if you're sitting in the chair for two hours, it's time to get up and move. And then these are some of the exercises that you can do in this movement. We want you to do it 15, 20 minutes. It should be cardiovascular based and it can't be in the same space, which has been pretty well received when we have those conversations. The other thing is just talking. We work with a strength and conditioning specialist at one of the universities. They're working on developing a program for them and they're new to it as, as, as much as a lot of people are. And their focus is more traditional strength and conditioning and as I was going through the program, I was kind of critiquing. I'm like, all right, well, maybe we need to move a little bit away from, do we really need to do this, you know, kettlebell squat or, you know, some kind of lunge that's loaded? And can we focus more on just the mobility concerns? We work on more body weight. These are athletes with training age of zero. They've never, many of them have never done this sort of thing. So teaching them just basic life skills on being more physically active and, and increasing that cardiac volume so that, yes, the, the, when the brain has nutrients and oxygen, it, it just loves that stuff and it processes it at a much faster rate. And then with the 2020-20 perspective and everything working collaboratively, we see these patients perform faster. We'll have to do a lot more research in regards to that and, and prove that theory, but all the, all the research through neurocognitive performance thus far has been very positive. There was a study that was published recently that just showed six minutes of cardiovascular activity every hour made a significant performance change in esports athletes. I know it's it's a foundational study. It doesn't have a lot there just yet, but I mean, it opens the door to that paradigm. I'm sure you probably see it in concussion as well, Mark. You know, the more we move these athletes and get them up to more their baseline activity level gradually over time, of course, not too much, not too little. Uh, they, they just improve. And, yeah. and that's always the goal. Anything that we have not touched on, on esports and just esports health in general that you guys want to talk about before we wrap things up? Yeah, Mark, I, I, you know, you just like when you're taking care of any patient population, you can see the benefit of having colleagues who are smarter than you are to be able to lean into to uh, help you out in in managing a lot of these. Uh, A couple of the other concerns or issues or or interventions, auditory, you know, a lot lot of these esports athletes will have uh, headphones when they're playing. So attempting to try to get within a range of like 60 to 80 decibels, 85 to 100 decibels is, you know, a lawnmower, a blender, a subway train. So, I mean, it's pretty loud, uh, right? So trying to keep them down in some of these headsets can really crank up a lot of the terms of like in-ear versus over-ear. We recommend over-the-ear headphones just to decrease risk of serum and impaction inside the ears. Colleagues spoke to a a lot of different things from a musculoskeletal ergonomic and and vision. From a nutrition standpoint, you know, if you look at a lot of the sponsors at some of these large esports tournaments, it's Jack Link's Beef Jerky, Pringles, Red Bull, Monster, right? So, I mean, not <laughs> not like super calorie dense, like good long uh, re- release type of carbohydrates. So, you know, having a, 
a sports nutritionist who can really speak to you're doing something that requires a lot of your skill and attention for a significant amount of time. So you need to feed your brain the right way and you need to feed your body the right way. There's a lot of travel that's in, included in esports. So same type of travel recommendations that are made for all of our other traditional athletes are there. From a cognitive and psychological standpoint, there's a lot of great ways to leverage the social interactions and the team building that are in esports. So this is a place where previously undiagnosed mental health issues can really be found and, and treated and harbored as a place to be a psychologically safe space with, with gaming. Sleep uh, hygiene is incredibly important with this group and, and having a sports psychologist incorporated with treating uh, some of these issues is just as important with, with them because of how they identify themselves as an athlete. Finally, just as a, as a health professional infection prevention, right? Uh, if, if you really want to see something that's gross, go on Amazon, go grab a couple agar plates and go swab your keyboard right now and then see what grows on that thing. I mean, it's not one of the things that we think about cleaning that often. And we touch our keyboards and mice all day long before and after a lot of different activities. Uh, so it's probably a, a, a big important thing. And uh, our esports medicine group grew probably the most during COVID. So it was a very important thing to be able to mention with uh, those groups who are getting really close to each other and they lean over and they talk to each other very close to. So uh, those are kind of top of mind uh, out, outside of what my colleagues talk about. Your cooties on the keyboard comment was kind of uh, my little also trigger to stop wearing ties in clinic, just knowing the research behind the grossness of what is harbored on our ties that don't frequently get cleaned. So yes, I, I can certainly <laughs> envision what we would grow off of a keyboard of somebody for sure, especially if they're, you know, engaging in the four main food groups of esports too, and, and, and the loveliness and the greasiness of, of a lot of those types of things. So we like to end our podcast with something we call the Pearl of the Podcast. It's everybody's opportunity to kind of give their key take-home point. And since we have four of you, you can kind of give your four individual take-home points that you think is kind of the, the key areas that you want people to know about uh, when we're talking about esports. So my take-home points are, number one, remind your patients to have routine eye care yearly. That's a big point in case their prescriptions are changing rapidly, especially in the teenage years. Remind them to take their eyes off the screen and look in the distance. And if they are showing any symptoms of eye strain, eye fatigue, decreased performance, they should go to an appropriate eye doctor who sees pediatric patients and or adults with functional vision skills. I think my Perola podcast is really looking at when someone comes into your office or an athlete comes into your office, not being the traditional practitioner and just say, um, rest and it'll get better. It's a hobby. It's their livelihood. And, and now, as we know, it's, it's scholarships. So this is this is a big deal. This is how they pay for school or, you know, stream or pay for things, right? The livelihood. So resting is not the key, you know? So looking at an individual and saying, well, figuring out what is that load capacity of whatever tissue you're doing? You know, if it's, if it's wrist pain, numbness, tingling, okay, I can play for 10 minutes. Okay. And then I start feeling it. Well, then we're stopping at 10 minutes. So you're not going to play ranked. You're going to be playing some normals. So you can just quit out and, you know, get banned or something like that. But you're able to play that 10 minutes, you're stopping. And then what can you do productive during that time? Could it be, you know, doing some eccentric loading of the extensors? Is it doing ice massage with lotion? Is it looking at VODs or walkthroughs or ways to improve gameplay? Or is it you know walking on the treadmill or doing some mobility exercise? There's ways to, while you're injured, be productive during the time you'd normally be grinding or playing the game and looking at it from kind of how we look at it, a holistic standpoint where it's a multifactorial thing rather than just rest and then six months later you're able to play again well no you know why is it causing this why is this happening um and, and looking at it from that perspective rather than just rest and kind of brush it brushing that the industry off yeah as i as i always say rest is the four-letter word in sports medicine and we need to find ways and that's the nice thing about knowing about each of these individual sports and activities is if you know what's involved 
especially, you know, whatever positions, you know, in a various sport, there are ways that you can probably still keep someone active and doing something rather than just sitting on their butt and doing nothing. And even when we're talking about sitting on our butt gaming, there's still obviously, obviously alternatives you can be doing in that situation too. So yeah, I, I totally wholeheartedly agree with the, if someone's just telling you to rest alone and not giving you alternatives to do, then we need to, we need to think about something else. How about you, Jason? I echo a lot of that. I mean, for my perspective, everything is about being as active as you can. And so I'm a, I'm a big fan of mobilizing the stiff joints and stabilizing the ones that are hypermobile. And if we can incorporate as much physical activity to support those structures and build that into the daily grind, as we hear so often in gaming, I think that we can create a culture that is more injury resilient and can perform at a higher level. And so as we develop more and more of these programs around the exercises, physical activity, as well as these gaming activities, and, and find that balance in training so that we can make them as elite as possible, I think that's going to be the changing of the paradigm for a lot of the perspectives on sport. Physical activity is, is one of the things that we lack the most in this country. And I would just love to see that incorporate more across every paradigm. And performance enhancement is physical enhancement at the same time. I feel like that's a little preachy at times, but <laughs> I mean, objects at rest tend to stay at rest. Mm-hmm. And objects in motion are always better because they can't you can't keep them down. So that's my pearls of wisdom. The other thing too is, you know, we really don't talk about sleep enough. I think sleep is is probably one of the big things that we need to focus on more than anything. The brain really gets its highest performance enhancement when we get a good solid sleep. And and that's not going to be eight hours for every person. But the idea that when we are sleeping, that's the time that the brain can really process the information that we've had for the day. It cleans itself off shakes off the debris from the day and it gets refreshed and ready to go for the next. So if we recognize that sleep's an issue, we need to address that. We've done a few discussions in that respect. And I, I, I think that we need to keep that in mind as well. If you're not asking sleep questions for an e-sport athlete, then you're letting them down a little bit um, so that we can get them at their peak performance. We got to make sure that we have all the pieces together so that we can move forward. And Dominic. Yeah, Mark, I'd like to thank you for engaging our group in this way. Number one, don't be afraid to do new things. If you have a group of patients or a population or something that's just really kind of passionate for you, keep being passionate about it. Let people know because you'll quickly find yourself surrounded by, again, people much smarter than you who can help you out and build a foundation for that. And with esports athletes, just like with traditional athletes, esports athletes have unique sports-specific training and injury prevention needs. We believe that esports athletes deserve the same comprehensive evidence-based approach to health, wellness, and performance optimization that we deliver to traditional sports athletes. Uh, That's in line with our mission as sports medicine professionals to promote the physical and the mental well-being of all active populations, regardless of their level of activity or their competition or their abilities. So combine your passions for what you love with the education that uh, that you have. Get some friends around you who can do the same and, and have fun. Uh, that's how we learn new things in medicine and end up on podcasts with Mark talking about uh, video games late at night. So thank you. Thanks for the opportunity. Absolutely. So I'd like to thank each of our guests today for offering their insight and expertise in esports medicine. I'll be sure to have some links to their program and information from their program in our show notes. So be sure to check those out. Also, be sure to check out our entire podcast library at pediatricsportsmedicinepodcast.com. Follow us on Twitter at Pete Sports Spot, and, and we appreciate your five-star reviews. I'm Dr. Mark Halstead, your host, and this has been the Pediatric Sports Medicine Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you will join us for future episodes. Find my entire library of episodes at pediatricsportsmedicinepodcast.com. I'm Dr. Mark Halstead, and this has been the Pediatric Sports Medicine Podcast.